Sometimes we face unexpected challenges and have to work through them. But for Nori Jabba, author of a memoir and guide on regaining confidence and power in middle age, what she discovered was such an eye-opener that she was inspired to share her journey with others. Nori's book, Keeping Your Seat at the Table, reveals why middle-aged women are so often passed over for jobs for which they are well qualified, how she got back at the table, and how other women can too. She describes herself as a writer, mentor, coach, mum, dog lover, backyard chicken farmer, and community development professional. Nori, thank you so much for joining us here today. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm pleased to be here. Keeping your seat at the table is part memoir, part guidebook. What inspired you to write it and to approach it in this way? So my journey started about five years ago when I decided I needed to go back to work. I had been consulting for almost 10 years and had a good consulting business, but I had lost one of my big clients and I couldn't replace them. So I decided, you know, I'm missing the camaraderie of being on a team. When you're a consultant, you're working by yourself. And it was time and I wanted the benefits. I hadn't contributed to my retirement account since I had started. So I put my resume together and I have 30 years of experience and good experience and I had very good jobs and I had awards. I won Businesswoman of the Year for my Chamber of Commerce. And, you know, I thought this, it, I knew it would be a challenge, but I didn't think it would be that hard. And literally no one would hire me. I would not even get responses most of the time. When I did, I always came in second. And after months and months of this, it was really depleting my self-esteem. So I decided to stop and find out what was really going on and, and really look into ageism because something was very wrong here. So that's what inspired me to do it. And the journey just evolved and the book being a guide, I realized from what I learned, I just could not keep this to myself because I know so many women are going through it. Even if they have a good job and they feel like they have their seat at the table, when you start aging and you start feeling that ageism, snide remarks at work or dismissiveness from younger workers or anything can trigger it. You really have to stop and look and think about it on a bigger level. You know, that's a very interesting point because when you read about ageism, we all broadly know what it means. But as you said there with those couple of illustrations, snide comments from someone younger and so on, it is very personal and it's something that's not just a piece of HR jargon and something that organizations need to do their best to ensure does not exist in the workplace culture. So to, to, to that point, from a personal perspective, can you share with us what shocked you the most? What did you feel the most? What was that moment where you just thought this just is too much? Yeah. So what I did to really learn what was going on and so I had applied for a job with a, a big corporation and I really thought I had it. I, they had reached out to me and so I thought I had it and I didn't get it. 
came in second again. And the HR person sent me the email and I reached out to her and said, look, I'm going to write a book about this topic. Would you have coffee with me? And she said, yes. I drove 60 miles to meet her. And mind you, everything happens for a reason because driving 60 miles towards for that coffee meeting, uh, the commute would have been the same and it would have done me in over the years. So everything turned out just fine. But she had coffee with me and I asked her, why is it so hard for middle-aged women to get a job? And she was middle-aged herself, which, you know, over late 40s maybe. And thank goodness, because I was not happy with what I heard, but I had to listen because I had invited her. Um, But she told me, she, she really unloaded on me because I don't think anybody had ever asked her that. And I think she was sharing the frustration too. And I think she also felt badly too, because she was a middle-aged woman, woman, and she was turning down all these people herself. So one thing that she said was that middle-aged women don't listen. And of course, she prefaced what she was saying with, this is her experience. This may not be personally how she feels about middle-aged women. This is just her observations over the years in HR. So middle-aged women don't listen. And I really was upset by that comment and wanted to put my hands on my ears and not listen to what she was saying. But I realized, you know, this is exactly what she's talking about. So I'm going to hear her out. And I really took it to heart and I thought about it. And I remembered stories in my journey where I wasn't listening. And a great one that comes to mind is I was sitting around a conference table at my last job when I was employed. And I think I was the only woman. And it was about eight other men and some powerful players. And I had to work so hard to be heard in that meeting. In fact, whenever I opened my mouth, they would just dismiss me, cut me off, move on, or listen to somebody else. So instead of listening to what anybody was saying at that table, I was looking for opportunity to jump in and be heard. And so for me, what I took away from that comment from this HR person was that listening is for women my age is really hard to do because we have to fight to be heard. And so I started really thinking about that and trying to improve my listening while still finding those opportunities to jump in and be heard. So I'll I'll stop and let you comment on that. But that was the first thing. Well, I'm just reflecting on that point, actually. Isn't it interesting, different lenses of perspective and uh, different ways of looking at a, a particular issue? And of course, without taking a step back and being detached and reflecting on a scenario, uh, one, one doesn't get to that stage. And that, I think, is also part of the depth and wealth of somebody who has been around for a bit, has a huge amount of experience. Because if you are looking at a, say, younger person in their 20s, uh, they might be so focused on 
getting themselves heard and m ending the meeting feel that they've made a contribution, that, that actually they don't contribute effectively to the meeting because they're not able to understand or indeed perhaps don't have the confidence to understand that perhaps they could say less. So I, I think that's a, a really um, interesting point you've made there. And the, the book takes this approach, does it, where you are sharing your own personal experiences and then bringing into play the learnings and, and observations on that. That's correct. It's um, If you've heard of Brene Brown, she talks about vulnerability as strength, not weakness. It kind of turns the definition on its head and claims that you have to be vulnerable in order to grow and take risks and be powerful. And so I really took that to heart. And in fact, um, Brene is just one of my heroes in life. Um, she just really changed my life in that way. So the book is me being vulnerable and sharing my personal journey with others. And, and some things are really personal. And I felt like I needed to do that because I know every other woman my age is probably going through this. Yeah, very interesting. Let's jump into this issue of self-care. Because if we look at the example that you just gave, that can lead to a scenario where one can feel a bit perhaps underconfident yeah. um, and um, confidence, of course, is really important in life and uh, especially so in the world of business in terms of how you're perceived, how you project yourself. And that energy and confidence in that space is an important part of self-care. From your perspective, how does this self-care piece come in? And why is it so important in maintaining a strong presence at the table? Well, I think it is so critical. And, you know, it really, I really started thinking about this because I had always thought of myself as a very confident person. And through my failure at finding a job, I was not a confident person. And that doesn't play well when you're trying to job hunt. You know, so it's this vicious cycle that the job hunting was making me lose my confidence. And then by losing my confidence, I couldn't portray myself with the confidence I needed to get the job. So I, I stepped back and looked at, you know, what, what was really going on? Why was I losing my confidence? And a lot of it had to do with middle age. And, you know, my body had changed shape. I had put on the 30 pounds that they say is the average that you put on during menopause. And I thought, oh, no, that won't be me because I was thin my whole life. Nope, I put on exactly 30 pounds. And for the life of me, I can't lose it to this day. So I started looking at other things about self-care and I, you know, and my diet. And I came up with this diet plan called WTF, which does not stand for what you think it might. It stands for women tired and fed up. <laughs> 
And it's really about accepting yourself, but also doing the right things, but realizing that there's there's some things you can't control when we age, and hormones are one of them. And I also take some medications that make me gain weight. So, you know, I just can't fight it. So I have to feel good about myself. So I looked at my wardrobe and decided if I if I'm not going to feel great about my body I'm going to look fantastic so that people notice that and I'm also going to do everything I can to take care of myself to get enough sleep I read Ariana Huffington's book and heard her speak about her book The Sleep Revolution and it changed my life because everybody I know has always looked at sleep as weakness you know you have to get up early, which I do actually. Um, but taking a nap means you're you're weak and working those hundred hour weeks means you're fantastic. Well Ariana doesn't believe in all that. She believes in getting to bed early and making sure that you take time to sleep. So I started sleep focusing on sleep and focusing on exercise and trying to find my inner athlete because I know that if you are strong physically, you have confidence. And if you look at how sports have impacted women, especially with young girls, it is like the number one thing to lead to self-confidence. And I wasn't an athlete when I was a kid. I wasn't the person picked on the team. I didn't feel good about my body. And I had to find that inner athlete. I did as a teenager. I, I started skiing and before that I did gymnastics, but I really encourage people to hire a trainer or start a program and just get in shape so they feel good about themselves. Inner athlete, it's so interesting. I, I was talking to a friend of mine who's the editor of a, a recruitment magazine and she said that the best thing that happened to her in COVID was that she started uh, exercising and uh, going to a, a, a local gym and that it was absolutely transformational. She was quite apologetic because she didn't want to say something that was politically incorrect about why COVID had been such a good thing right. for her. Well, you know, I started walking during COVID because that's what we, that's the one thing we could do. And uh, we adopted a dog during COVID as well. And she needs a lot of walking. So I started walking a lot, like 15,000 steps a day, 20,000 on weekends. And now, now I have tendonitis in my foot because of it all. But, you know, I started getting in shape, even though I'm still didn't lose the weight. It did nothing for the weight loss, but I know my heart is in good shape. My muscles are good. And it re and I listen to podcasts and audiobooks. So I started reading, which I had never really had time to do. So listening um, to valuable information on my walks just makes me feel so empowered. I listen to leadership books. I listen to fiction. I listen to memoirs. Memoirs are my favorite to listen to on walks because the story is just so easy. It flows so well. Whereas fiction, you kind of have to really pay attention. And if your dog's running off one direction, you might miss something important. But, you know, all of these self-care things are critical to keeping yourself your seat at the table and keeping yourself healthy and happy 
Indeed. And readers might be surprised that you include guidance on dealing with ageing parents and facing ageing. Why was it critical to include that? Well, so when I said I was consulting and I lost one of my big clients, the reason I lost my big client was because of an aging parent. Um, You know, my mom lived in a different state and lived alone. And we all knew that this was coming and that we would have to address it. But we did nothing to prepare for it because you just don't want to deal with it until you have to. And the volcano erupted and I had to drop everything to fly out to Colorado and help move her and find her a new place to live and downsize her and sell her house and everything. And it was complete. It pulled me under the table. And that's the name of that chapter where I address that because we have, when we get to this age, a lot of us have children that are getting older and they need us more, not less as they get older. Right. We all know that. And then I had the aging parents and my mom who needed just so much effort on my part and it was it was the hardest thing i've ever faced in my life it was daunting and overwhelming and not only did it pull me under the table it consumed my life for months and months and months and had i been more prepared i wouldn't have lost my seat at the table because of it. And it wasn't the only thing, but I realized that, you know, with with life that happens, especially in those middle age years where you have adult children or children that are nearing adulthood and you want to get them into university and help launch them on their way. And meanwhile, you have to take care of your parent. It's, it's a lot. And it's sometimes too much for us to handle that and a very demanding job. I mean, how can you do it all? You can't. It's fascinating, isn't it? These new types of challenges that we're not necessarily prepped for that present at certain times. And unplanned times. You can't plan for when it's going to happen. You can't plan for when it's going to happen, and it could even be the death of a parent or indeed something unexpected uh, that happens to a a child who was going all in the right direction and then life experience hits, something happens where you really need to support them. Well, that's Uh, happened to me right now, Nicola. So, you know, while I'm going through this, um, my one of my adult children had an injury at work and it caused a brain injury and I have had to help take care of her. And so you just never know what's going to pull you under the table. And I think this self that's why self-care becomes so important because you have to have the resilience. You don't have a choice. You have to be there for your family. And if you have a demanding job or you're looking for a demanding job, juggling all of that is is really almost impossible. And with my parents, and my dad had a brain injury as well, he fell and cracked his skull in seven places and didn't know who anybody was for quite some time. Um, But I also learned that the brain is a miraculous, miraculous thing and it can heal no matter what you put it through. There is so much healing that can happen. But all of that going on with my parents 
forced me to think about my own aging in a way that I never had. It made me think about death and what I want to do before I die and how I want my children involved in my life. And I don't want to put my kids through what I went through with my mother. And I don't blame her. I don't. I'm not angry. It's just life. But had I can do things now to put measures in place to make it easier on them later. And I can also really think about aging strategically and do everything in my power to age well and be happy as I age. Aging strategically. Yeah, let's have a a look at that. In another chapter, you talk about owning your age and leveraging it. In a world of work where what you look like does matter, more so in some sectors and industries than others, can you unpack for us what exactly you mean by owning your age and leveraging it? Yes. So as part of the book, I did an experiment and, you know, women are always, you know, we we are told that aging is bad and that we we do whatever we can to look younger, including coloring our hair. So as an experiment for the book, I decided to stop coloring my hair. And I was totally ahead of the game because COVID had not happened. And of course, so many women stopped coloring their hair during COVID. So I was, I had a head start and was growing out my hair at that time. And I wanted to see if people treated me differently and really get a sense of, does this fake color make such a difference? Is this really making me look younger? Is it helping me? And so I grew my hair out. And guess what? People treated me better. 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 Yes. And if you look at women who let their hair grow out and are in powerful positions in business, CEO, C-suite people, or, or or any director or anything, vice presidents. If you see a woman who has gray hair or white hair, they are almost always incredibly confident and powerful women. Right? If you think of mm. examples, they always mm. are. And so I talked to a few of these women. I, I happened to have a few clients where I had women in my life who rocked that gray hair and looked fantastic. And there's one on my city council here who has white hair and she is so beautiful and so powerful and such an important person in our community. And she has owned her age so beautifully. So I felt like I can learn from these women. And the fact that people treated me differently is so interesting because I am no longer trying to hide my age. And are they really treating me differently because I'm not hiding my age? Or is the confidence coming from within me because I'm owning my age? Maybe a little bit of both. But either way, I am never going back. And as long as you keep your hair well styled and you know you don't look like you're just letting yourself go, you own it, you stand up tall, you feel good about it, um, it is really important. So the other thing, and I don't know how it works in Europe, but here you are told, here in the U.S., you are told to hide your age on your CV. 
to not put the year that you graduated from university or college, to not put the, anything that would give away just how old you are. And I don't know about you, but if I get a resume that doesn't have the year somebody graduated, I find it irritating. And I know they're old and they're just trying to hide their age. And they might not even be that old, but they're trying to hide their age. So leveraging and owning your age is about having that confidence of your experience and knowing that you have so much value to add because of it that you don't have to hide your age. But it's also balancing humility and authority, listening and providing value and advice. And I think too often people that get to a certain age have so much experience and value to give that they forget to listen a little bit, that it's more, they focus more on sharing than receiving. And there is so much growth that can still happen and learning that can be done and listening that needs to happen. So it's, you have to balance that really carefully. Um, but that's owning your age. It's not hiding it and it's, it's using it to your advantage. And, you know, here's a great example in business. So business never goes smoothly, no matter what industry or job you're in. There's always a crisis at some point, something terrible happens that you need all hands on deck to get through. And people that are older have been through this time and time again. So they bring a sense of calmness and expertise and the ability to navigate crises. And sharing that and, and sharing that confidence and being able to help your corporation through that is really valuable and it's something we overlook with older workers. What's really interesting about what you were saying there is that you specifically reference listening at least a couple of times. Yes. And that takes us back to the beginning of the interview and that trigger the role where you sat down with HR afterwards and had this discussion around listening and these different lenses of, of perspective. So I'm, I'm really pleased actually that we ended on this note because it so perfectly proves that one of the greatest things that we can learn is to listen and the more listening you do people of all ages people of all seniority if you're traveling people of different nationalities etc uh it it is hugely valuable in the world of work and i think on on that note i just like to thank you so much for sharing your really compelling personal journey yet one which I'm sure we can all find something to identify with that, uh, that, that resonates. And uh, I have to uh, admit, I haven't read the book fully yet, but I absolutely am going to now. Awesome. Um, and you can listen to it. It's on Audible as well. Yeah, that's right. So Keeping Your Seat at the Table, a memoir and guide on regaining confidence in middle age is available on Amazon and in ebook and audiobook formats. Uh, we will have all those details alongside the interview on the site. 
So Nora, I'd just like to thank you again so much for this really great chat today. Thank you.